Hello, boys and ghouls. We're just bursting to present to you an out-of-this-world episode that celebrates the 1979 sci-fi horror classic, Alien, as well as its 1986 wham-bam sequel, Aliens. So, join us for episode 46 as we take a look at this double feature of facehuggers, grenade launchers, androids, eggs, explosions, underwear, and acid for blood. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The undead. Have so so you ever talked to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Like uh, well, intensely of, <laughs> yes. Well, you're telling me to intensely smell. No, your I'm hand. telling you, doesn't it smell intensely of? Um, oh my god, it's like emotionally I, I, very I think confusing. The, the, the pumpkin is mostly giving away to the cupcake, uh, oh. half of the smell. Well, I feel very emotional about the way it smells. <sighs> it smells good. All right, good news because you're about to do a horror podcast. Good. Um, cat. Marshall. Have you accumulated any spooky gab? Have I? Have I? Well, I guess I should say that I, when my mother and my aunt were in town for the wedding, mm-hmm. um, one of the first things I did when the, the day that they got there is I drove downtown and I parked my car and I came with them to the top floor of the Hilton Checkers downtown L.A. And they wanted to go on the roof and smoke because they're from North Carolina and tobacco is king. Mm-hmm. And while we were up there, you could see the Biltmore Hotel. And I proceeded to immediately tell them all kinds of spooky things and just in history about the hotel. And then they were chomping at the bit to get down there and actually go look around. So I took them. Um, I remember a bunch of people were going to, like, after the rehearsal dinner, <laughs> go check out the pool. Yeah. But that was not a spooky thing. That was because it's the pool from Cruel Intentions. I'm thinking of the pool at the Queen Mary. Yes, no. Which is haunted. I've seen pictures of that. It looks really spooky. Yeah. Matthew went on a haunted tour and sent me pictures. And that's... I've never been on the Queen Mary, but... But yeah, no, just um, showing off some kind of old spooky-ish uh, downtown LA history. And so then a you... lot of cat scares between my wedding and now for some reason. We have a lot, I have a lot of feral cats around my apartment, okay. so uh, anytime I go to do laundry or get home from work, sometimes there's a cat in the beams over in the little carport that I park in. You know, I look up and, huh, or one will jump out at me. I get a lot of cat scares okay, while doing so. laundry. It's like I'm living in a 1970s horror film. Frightened by felines mm-hmm. and gave your own ghost tour. Yeah. Basically. Sure. Like, as soon Some as your mom charming spooky gab. Okay. What about you? I know you have something good. You've been hoarding it. Tell us. It's not that good. <laughs> At work, we had an earthquake drill. Not just a drill, but like a disaster preparedness drill where they brought in like fire department and EMTs and 
the people who would be responding if there was a disaster. Okay. So I volunteered for that as a victim. <gasps> and I've wow. done that before. Yeah. And you get there. What kind of a victim? What happened to you? For me, nothing much. Because I guess I didn't get into the front of the line. So they didn't have time to do as much makeup on me. So if you arrive late, you Wait, just get like... they go so far as to put makeup on you? That's the spooky part. Amazing! Is that we were all like bloodied up with various special effects like gore. And they told you to wear old clothes. And the purpose of that is to make it more realistic. Like, For, if this guy's yeah. bone is sticking out of his arm, what's the best thing to do here? Yeah. That kind of thing. And, like, the order you treat people. Uh -huh. Like, I was given, like, a green <laughs> wristband because I had minor abrasions. Ah. Uh. For which they just put a little blood on me and kind of dirtied me up a bit. Yeah. And they were like, you have minor abrasions. And, and you were like, hmm, cool. <laughs> really, yeah. Neat. If you could see the look on my face right now. Listener, David Maddox was there. <laughs> yeah. And you texted me that you and David were covered in fake blood or something, and I was like, what? Yeah, and he was ahead of me in line, so he got, like, an appliance on him of just, like, like, this gaping neck wound. But in the structure where I was, like, we went to different structures, and they were like, okay, when you... See the uh, the rescue people coming, you know, start to scream, do whatever like your character would do. And I'm like, I have minor abrasions. <laughs> abrasions have I. Yes. We're They're like, are you okay, sir? And I'm like, I'm pretty good. I have minor abrasions. And then they like put me on this like green tarp with other people who didn't have really bad ailments. Uh-huh. You know, but then it was like a yellow tarp. For, like, Did David go, ah, and like point at his neck? We were put in separate structures. <laughs> okay. The the process was called moulage, M-O-U-L-A-G-E, and that's what they called putting the the fake injuries on us. We were being moulaged. Oh, my. And in the structure with me was a gal who was given, like, a balloon full of fake blood and a safety pin. <gasps> no! And lucky then, girl! Yeah. Not great for her sweatshirt. I guess that's the last day she wore that. Yeah. Because when the rescuers came in, she was instructed to then, like pierce the balloon oh my gosh and just like bleed like a torrent so she did not get a green wristband she got wow. a red wristband um, that is traumatizing and then afterwards <laughs> we all had lunch Ooh, covered still covered in blood yeah yeah it was quite the horror show wow yeah good and gab I, I got like a little certificate good for you So, hey, Kat. Hi, Marshall. We needed a movie or a couple of movies that could really just stand on their own, that we could get like a whole episode out of, no problem. And we've done this before. Yeah. This time last year, we did Silence of the Lambs. Yes. And this time we are doing Alien and Aliens, which either one of them could get their own episode. Oh, yeah. But they're not. <laughs> <laughs> In space. No one can hear you scream. Alien, rated R from 20th Century Fox. All right. Focusing on Alien and Aliens. Two separate films, two different directors. 
Uh, let's go chronologically. Yeah. To the inception. Now, uh, way back at the acorn stage is John Carpenter. I know. I didn't know that. Now yeah. I do. No. Let's let's tell the listeners. I was, I was interested in that as it happened, but I more just wished I was there when you found that out. I know. I wish you had been, too, because I was all alone, and I was very excited. Or were you just like, well, that makes sense, because all roads lead to John Carpenter. No, I was purely just, like, delighted and shocked at the connection. Which honestly. is the writer, the, the first writer. Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon. Not Banyan? Nope, Bannon. All right. Dan O'Bannon in film school. At uh, USC. Fell in with John Carpenter and his, I'll call it a thesis project. Mm-hmm. Uh, which blew up and got a theatrical release called yeah. Dark Star. I think they, some, I heard someone refer to it as like, rather than being a really amazingly made student film, it yeah. was a really kind of a mediocre theatrical release. <laughs> it sort of like crossed that threshold. Yeah. And I know I've seen it, like, back in the day. Really? Yeah, it was. It got a video release. And it's a spoof? It's a funny movie. Yeah, well, after 2001, space movies... Started becoming ubiquitous? Well, yeah, it's, it had a large reach, mm-hmm. 2001, including out into spoofs. Dark star. They're not lost in space. They're loose. And dark star, it's... Several astronauts in a very small quarters. They've been out there for too long. They're getting on each other's nerves. The little kid in Halloween. Who's the boy? Tommy. Tommy. His Halloween costume is a Dark Star outfit. What? Yeah. No. Yes. At one point, an alien comes on board, and it's just sort of like a beach ball with feet. If That's what I kept reading. People kept saying the villainous alien is literally a beach ball. And I was like, well, I believe I'd like to see that. And Dan O'Bannon, I'm not even sure what his um, participation was on Dark Star, but he seems to have walked away from the experience inspired enough to say, I want to do this again, but where the alien is a source of horror and not just a beach ball. Right. And so at the root of all this lies John Carpenter. To my surprise, but then not surprise. It is a small world after all. After that, O'Bannon went to work on that early version of Dune that never happened. He did. That got its own documentary recently. Mm-hmm. And that's where he met H.R. Giger. Hans Rudolf Giger. Who we lost in the last year. He's from Switzerland. We did. And when he was in Paris, Dan O'Bannon, working on Dune, he met Giger, who offered him opium. Dan O'Bannon asked him why he took it, and he said, because I'm afraid of the images in my mind. For good reason. Which also, I also came across the information that, which I guess in a general way, this is something I wasn't aware of. I would have assumed, as with most films, that they brought on this artist and said, we want you to conceptualize something for a creature for our film because you make scary paintings. Mm -hmm. But what actually happened was they looked at one of his paintings and said, that, that's terrifying. That looks phallic. That has terrifying sexual imagery and is very disturbing. Let's use that as the inspiration almost exactly for our creature in our movie. And that's what they did. An existing painting of his called Necronom 4. And if you look that up, you'll see it looks basically, it looks like a xenomorph. Xenomorph being the alien, which was called a xenomorph in Aliens with no real explanation behind it. Yeah. It's like, it's a xenomorph. A xeno what? 
Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's a xenomorph because, I don't know, that's what they've been calling it behind the scenes. Right. For several years, so they thought they might as well say it out loud at least once. Apparently, whatever phrasing they use xenomorph in, it's not technically meant to refer exactly to the alien, but... Some merchandisers picked up on the word and started using it for some merchandising, and that's when it caught on in the public mind. And then that's why we all kind of you have to call refer it to it as because yeah. You can't even call it well. You can't call it Martian because it's not from Mars. But you can't even call it a what was the name of the planet that they that they touched down on? Yeah, an, an alien. Ugh. It's got a number yeah. after it too. LV-426. LV-426, that's... Yeah. yeah, well, you can't call it an LV-426-ian because <laughs> it's not native right. to LV-426. It was aboard a crashed ship. Correct. And it may not have even come from wherever the crashed ship came from. Right. So it's got no real designation beyond alien. We're also speaking about this as though everyone's seen this movie, which they probably have, but do you want to give us... You know I'm not good at brief summaries, nor I. Usually turns into a podcast long summary. Yeah. But, okay. Well, everything we've talked about so far, this guy, Den O'Bannon, mm. he's been kicking around, tried to go help out with the making of Dune, met Giger, came back to America, decided to start working on a script, collaborated with another fellow, mm -hmm. said that dark star but serious idea, let's make that into a script. And what eventually came out of it became Alien 1979, which is, in brief... Pretty simple. A group of what's called space truckers. No one refers to them as that in the film. No. It's just the filmmakers all kind of go, truckers in space, space yeah. truckers, to emphasize that they are the everyday working man there are type no, of people. They're blue collar. Yeah, there's no princesses on board this starship. Yeah. It's just space workers. And they're hauling a big load of like iron ore or something that's yeah. been mined from across the galaxy. Right. And they're in hypersleep. They are. They get woken up because there is a possible distress call coming from a planet that they're passing, some little rinky-dink LV-426. And protocol dictates they're supposed to go investigate. They do. They find a wrecked alien ship. So in this future, no alien contact had ever been made. It's all just humans scattered through the galaxy, mining ore and whatever else they get up to. That transmission... Mother's deciphered part of it. It doesn't look like an SOS. Well, what is it, then? Well, I, it looks like a warning. Some of them go in. There's a bunch of leathery eggs, one of which an alien comes out. And if you're watching this for the first time, I guess you're like, there's the alien. That thing is terrifying. Right. It just latched itself to this guy's face. Well, especially because they didn't use imagery of the alien on any of the marketing because they didn't want to give away what it looked like. Sure. So, so if you're watching this for the first time, you see this, this face hugger, you assume that's what's the main that's alien. That's the alien. They're going to yeah. spend the next hour of this movie chasing around this sort of spidery, crabby with a tail, yeah. face-hugging. Mostly what it does is it jumps once, yeah. and then the rest of the time it's latched onto this guy's face. Impregnating him. We later learn, <laughs> as a smallish alien bursts out of its chest, and then you're like, oh, no! Mm -hmm. Bring us water! Water my ass! Bring this guy some Pepto-Bismol! I do really try to think about movies... As in, like, when someone originally saw them without yeah. spoilers, without having seen Spaceballs. Yeah, I know. I saw Spaceballs, like, 12 times before I saw Alien. And believe me, when I saw Alien, and it was the same actor as in Spaceballs, I thought that was just great. Yeah. Oh, 
Oh, no. Not again. <laughs> Implying somehow he survived and then went on to, to be on Spaceballs. Sure. And then this smallish, different alien mm-hmm. comes out. And you're like, that thing is terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's got little teeth. It's got little teeth, but, you know, excluding the tail, it's only about a foot tall. Mm-hmm. So they set off to find it, but it's not. Because it skitters off or it, runs it, away. It skitters off, yeah. So they split up into groups and they're like, let's get this Mama Jama off our ship. <laughs> Check, please. Next time we see it, it is what we now think of as the xenomorph, the alien. Mm-hmm. It grows fast. It's like eight feet tall and yeah. it's like made of teeth. Mm-hmm. And it picks off the crew. Then now they're looking for a big dangerous thing. Stakes are raised. They go into the vents after it. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's moving right towards you. Members of the crew get picked off until you're left with... Is she the first mate? Or was Kane the first mate and she was third in charge? Mm-hmm. I heard That's a, a quick question. reference that said she was third in charge. And so I just did the math and assumed then if when Dallas died, it went to her, then Kane must have been... Second in command. I defer to you. That's just like one quick detail. In any case, they're without a leader. Mm -hmm. She steps up. We're going to blow up the ship. We'll take our chances in the shuttle. They get ready to get in the escape pod. The other survivors get picked off. She gets in the escape pod. The alien's in the escape pod. Gah! There is next to nothing more terrifying. She went from being trapped on a giant ship with an alien... To being trapped in this tiny little space. And the way she gets out of it is really genius. She wiggles her way into an airtight spacesuit with oxygen in it and then releases the, shoots some kind of, she opens the door. She opens the door and the alien's got a little trouble leaving. Yeah. So she's like, well, how about this grappling hook? Yeah. And then the alien's like, okay. And then goes into space. Final, final moments. It starts clawing its way back on through the grappling hook. And then she turns on, like, the jets and fries it, basically. Yeah. And then she's like, well, now I'm done. Hey, cat, that I went back to save, even though I'm a real hard ass. Cat, Jones. Jones, Jonesy. Yeah, not cat, not me, cat. Oh. Hello, cat. Hello, feline. Yes, yeah, Marshall says, yeah. And then she goes into her hypersleep and says, you know, last surviving member of the Nostromo signing off. Goodbye. Yeah. That's that's part one. Now, I have something to raise to you as someone who you just admittedly said that when you watch a film from a time gone by, you really work to get yourself in the space of, like, how would people be experiencing this? I try, yeah. So, as do I. And I was watching a feminist critique of the first film on YouTube, just uh, where this woman sort of looked at the first movie through the lens of feminism. And... She said that she was saying this as though it's accepted fact that when people were first watching this film, they weren't sure who the protagonist was going to be. I'd really like to look at that. So let's talk about it, because that was her standpoint. And she kept repeating that idea as she went through beat by beat through the film and then talked about Ripley's character and how audiences perceived her as being kind of like overbearing and unfeeling because of her opinions about the way they should be proceeding, et cetera, et cetera. But then she was going to leave them out. Outside, Right. Because she didn't want to violate quarantine protocol to bring in the face hugger, blah, blah, blah. But that by the end of the film, you know, she shows sensitivity and leadership and that audiences 
would have been surprised to find that she was the last person because towards the beginning, you're waiting per horror tropes because she's this quote, bitchy woman, you're waiting for her to get it and rooting for her to get it, like meaning get killed because she's this overbearing whatever, but that as the film progresses, the audience would realize, wow, oh wow, she's emerging as a hero and root for her. And it was so surprising and such an upheaval of typical tropes. Thoughts? Well, we got into this a little with Evil Dead in which we couldn't not recognize Bruce Campbell because it's Bruce Campbell. Yeah. And we know... It's Sigourney Weaver, star of Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. That's how I went into my first screening of Alien. Yeah. I knew who she was. I knew how the, basically, how it would go. So we knew she would come out at the end. So every time she got a close-up, let's say, or was interacting in a scene, we saw that as part of the major through line and not just another character doing their thing. Right. There were other better-known actors in this movie. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. People didn't know Zagorny Weaver. They probably just saw her name in print and didn't know to pronounce it Zagorny. Yeah, you say it with a Z. Zagorny, Zagorny. I'm just pointing it in out. Fact, I think I did. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm okay with it. <laughs> so the idea that she should be the main character, this unknown, mm-hmm. just like the alien wasn't on on the posters, she wasn't on the posters either. Right. It was just this big old egg, kind of big ugly green. Yeah. Tom Skerritt, he'd done stuff. Yeah. He was in MASH. Mm-hmm. Yafit Kodo got the, like, and Yafit Kodo mm-hmm. as, you know. I'm not sure how familiar film-going audiences were, but Ian Holm was, like, a huge theater star in England, apparently. Star of it. stage. I, I, not I, th- yet I, I think Alien helped break him as far as movies it went. It did. It did. But sure, why couldn't he be the main character? And then it was just sort of everyone else falling down. As she rose up. Yeah. So, yeah, it wouldn't have been obvious. I love that. I think that's so fascinating because before this woman made this suggestion in her self made YouTube video, it had never occurred to me like that someone wouldn't have watched it going, ah, yes, the protagonist. It occurred to me this time watching it, now that I'm watching it with like a pen and paper in hand, because they really focus on Kane, John Hurd, Mm -hmm. who gets the face hugger. Mm -hmm. Because in the beginning, it's going through this sleeping ship and as the ship wakes up and then the people wake up and he's the character you're following he's the one who gets up he yawns he looks around he's a little disoriented he's the one that we follow out of hypersleep we don't see any of the others wake up he was the first person we saw so for about five minutes he was the star of the film right so that would have attached people to him tom scarrett is the captain of the ship so you tend to follow the captain Mm -hmm. you know a lot And when they go out to, you know, there's an alien ship. Let's go look at it. Usually, you know, if you're going on an adventure, you take the main guys. You take the main guys. When they go down to investigate, Ripley's not down. No, she's not down there. She stays back on the ship. navigating. What kind of hero of a movie stays with the ship? Right, right. She hangs out and decodes. Then she gets a scene as she puts her foot down to not let them in. But she's really, at that point, more of an obstacle, possibly, to the real main characters we suspect. Who we want to get back in because we care about them, damn it. Yeah. Get out of the way, Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's something we both learned this time around. Star Wars is a modern-day fairy tale, which I really like because it took me on an adventure. I especially like the special effects. 
especially the moving monster chess figures. And I think it's also interesting to note that Alien had been in kind of development hell, as it were, and then Star kind of. Wars came out. Star Wars <laughs> came out, put out by Fox. Right. Big hit, and it didn't take Fox or other companies long to say, what have we got that's sci-fi? What's in the cooker? Right. And Alien was the only thing 20th Century Fox had that was sci-fi. And they yeah. were like, immediate green light, go! Yes. My favorite part was when the stars, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, and Chewbacca the Wookiee were stuck in the garbage compactor. Ridley Scott said he was visually inspired by 2001, as you mentioned. That was obviously a huge movie at the time. We're talking about 2001, A Space Odyssey. Especially the like brighter in the lab. In mm-hmm. the common area. And by Star Wars, he said. Um, and that would be more in the sort of junky, messy area. Yes. Because that, that's where Star Wars really shined. The yep. opposite of shined, where it was it junky wasn't, and messy. It wasn't the shiny, clean white surfaces of sci-fi films of yore. There's so much shiny sci-fi. It was like truckers in space. Big, exactly. ugly truck. Grimy. And I was reading that some of the producers and like Dan O'Bannon and other people threw suggestions at Ridley of sci-fi classics he should watch because he wasn't very well versed in the genre. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't interested at all. I'm speaking for him, but I think he didn't want those kinds of things muddying up his mind. But he said, for as far as the horror part of it, he was really inspired by Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Deputies report that in some instances, only parts of a corpse had been removed. I heard that and thought Which that I was great. I love knowing. Because I think... And it's telling. It is. And I think there's something to be said for, I don't know how to say this, na- naivete or ignorance sort of giving a bit of freedom to someone who's trying to create something you know they're not weighted down by all of the previous things that they that they haven't seen they're just doing what they want to do the idea that you couldn't know that you can't do something exactly yeah sometimes i wish i was more naive yeah um (laughs) i'd get more done (laughs) you're too smart for your own good marshall the only true wisdom consists in knowing that you know nothing did you hear anything about the crew's reaction to Giger on set? Because I did. And it's very entertaining to me. As in his behavior on set? Yes. I think he sort of came with a reputation. Well, maybe not behavior, but reputation, rather. And they kind of spooked him a bit. Well, he dressed all in black. Oh, ooga booga. So do you, Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, had a lot of, <laughs> he had a lot of animal bones. And this is very silly. There were rumors he had the bones of a former fiancé of his who killed herself. They had her bones. Anyway, people thought he was really spooky. Yeah, I don't know what the laws are like in Switzerland, but I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do that. <laughs> well, I don't know. You can have someone cremated. Maybe he just kept her articulated skeleton. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. But if you did you watch any interviews with him? He's very entertaining. He has that very thick accent. And he's yeah. very amused a lot of the time at, like, certain things that people would do with a, with his drawings and i don't know he I, he did he did seem like quite a character he's an interesting fellow and, and by the way and dreamed all he dreamed all the creepy shit that he drew really he mentioned that he made this art to get this stuff out of his head because it, he would dream it he would have nightmares i mean and, the fact that it then, came from his dreams is more scary than anything and then to bring that kind of guy on as like a gun for hire yeah seems, seems very odd and it's great that he could function in a environment that demanded results mm-hmm. on a very strict timetable because wherever his inspiration is coming from it doesn't feel very 
tangible. No. And it's like, okay, make something amazing and do it in three weeks. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. He's like, I must retire to sleep for four days. I'm going to need the following things. I wait on the dream man. Get me incense. Three glasses of tepid water. Like, oh, make something just like that painting you did. That took me nine years. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what his creative process was, but whatever it was... Thank goodness was compatible with the rigors and someone of told, film production. Someone told a story about how he wanted to go in and like redesign the image from his Necronom for the painting that Ridley was like, that, that's terrifying. Do that. And he was like, okay, I shall reconfigure. And they were like, no, 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 no time for that. That's perfect. We're gonna work off that. You design the face hugger. And they had to like redirect his attention, yeah. like, you know, because there just wasn't time that's to cool. revisit some of it. And besides the facehugger, he designed the alien spacecraft, which the alien, the xenomorph, as far as the 1979 version goes, may or may not have been indigenous to. Correct. Like, it was Ridley Scott's supposition that maybe that was like a payload of bioweapons that just like got out of hand. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, I think what you're getting at is the ship kind of the ship. It still seems to function in the same genital imagery world as the xenomorph does. I was just going to say aesthetic <laughs> and leave genital imagery up to you. Oh, sure. Vaginas is what it looks like. <laughs> I'll say it. The word itself makes some men uncomfortable. Vagina. It looks uh, like vagina. Part of it, part of it looks like just like a big spinal column mm-hmm. running along the walls. Yes, which was definitely it's, intentional. It's, it's very night- fleshy. It feels very bio. Biomechanical. Yeah. It's a nightmarish meeting between, like, the body and machines. Ridley Scott loves the word biomechanoid. He used it a lot in the commentary that I watched. And Giger, biomechanical is a word that Giger uses a lot to describe his own art. Or used. Yeah. Yeah. So, Giger never designed any of the spacesuits. Correct. And he didn't design anything in the spaceships that the Earthlings occupied Mm -hmm. your main cast tom scarrett never navigated anything that giger designed right his was all on the alien side and then more than one guy but hold on i wrote his name down because he deserved a mention uh ron cobb who came back for aliens because it's the same world just 57 years later yep and he gave everything a great technical functionality as well as a world that's product-driven. And I love the idea of these two different aesthetics being completely separated in their design, and it really does separate it for you as a viewer. Giger hasn't touched what he what that guy did, and that, like there's no crossover. Yeah. They're separate functions. And it's when the two meet, that horror... <laughs> that's right. ...takes over. Ten meters. We're finished, man! We're Fritos, man! Nine meters! We're gonna die! the most important takeaway you know i think if i had a little girl i wanted to um, show something really thrilling that has a great protagonist for them to look up to how little well i'm a weirdo okay but really i mean 
Well, all right. I know what you mean. It is pretty horrifying. But for, you know, the vast majority of horror films at the time and even regular films, I mean, this, this, is, this is a time when you had precious few really strong female leads. And then a few of them came out all at once. I mean, you had Princess Leia, who is incredibly brave and strong and fights. And that Princess Leia was sure bossy. Ripley is, has become a very important character to me. I didn't really watch the movie a ton as a kid, or at least not in its entirety. And I didn't sit down and watch it until maybe four or five years ago as an adult. How about any, any of the sequels? Same. Same with the sequels. So okay. it's not something I watched as a kid, but I, it's the kind of thing where I think, like, I wonder if I had seen how different would I be had I seen that movie as H- a... Had, had you gone through a few years more empowered than you otherwise were? Yeah, possibly. By Zagorny Weaver's I'll, Ripley? I'll never know. Yeah. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo. But Ripley curling up with Jones and going to sleep, it's not the end of this story. No. You had a better segue than that. What was it? An apology, a broad apology to our listeners. There's so much we didn't even touch on. Oh, there's no way to so touch far on all of it. Alien. As we journey on into Aliens, mm. you know, I was doing some last-minute cramming right up until you came over. Yeah. And so I put on an, an interview with James Cameron, who took the helm for Aliens, mm-hmm. the sequel, which was in 86. So a few years had passed. And he wrote it. He wrote as it. As well. Wrote also. and directed. He started writing it, and then he directed Terminator, and that was a big enough hit that they said, Okay, you can do Aliens. You, you can direct this also. Previous to being a director, he did, like, production design, special effects for Roger Corman. He directed uh, Piranha 2. We spliced in genes from different species to create the ultimate killer organism. By the way, we didn't mention this, but I love it, that Alien Mm -hmm. was almost a Corman movie. Yeah. It came so close to being that movie, not the movie we got, anyway. Yeah, when they were shopping it around, it's like, well, where do you take some horror sci-fi? You take it over to... um, a guy who does horror and sci-fi. Yeah. Corman. It was very close to being that, which I think is interesting. After Alien came out, Corman produced Galaxy of Terror, hmm. which I watched the trailer for just tonight. Galaxy of Terror. Just looking at the corridors that Sid Haig was running down, was like, yes, this is very much his follow-up to Alien to uh, cash in on, on those dollars. Yeah. It's been waiting a billion years to scare you to death. Still in his employee at the time was a young James Cameron, who was doing production design on Galaxy of Terror, that in doing his job, he poured over the original Alien and came to know it intimately. I didn't know that. Thereby kind of qualifying him for the job of writing the sequel. How charming. Yeah. And again, just roads leading back to Roger Corman. It just gives me a big warm fuzzy. Galaxy of Terror. The ultimate horror in space. So he took the helm. He took it another direction. But you can't just start the movie going another direction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can't just go, now it's action! ba 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 boom Yeah. It takes a while before there is any action. But once it starts, it's just like a locomotive. It does not let up. Yeah. So... What you get at first is that same slow, you know, but, you know, for, like, tension and 
building suspense. Atmosphere. Atmosphere of the pod just drifting into space, being overtaken by another ship. They torch the door open. You don't even get to see humans at first. Just robots come in, scan the place, and then we get some exposition that she's been drifting for 57 years. She thought she was going to sleep for something like six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, 57 years? Which does two things. One, it explains why she comes out of hypersleep seven years older. (laughs) And it also, and this was just in the extended versions, but that's the version I watched, and maybe you as well, and maybe it might even be harder now to find the original version. Probably. Than the extended, which allowed us to find out she had a daughter, and that while she was in her drifting hypersleep, that daughter got old and died. (sighs) Which... Poor Ripley, she's all alone. Gives her plenty of uh, motivation, internal motivation, to be protector and surrogate mother to a young girl that she finds on a planet devastated by xenomorphs. Yeah. A young girl named Newt. Newt. A.K.A. Rebecca. Yeah, nicknamed Newt. Before getting to that planet, we get a nice dream sequence where she thinks she's got an alien in her. But really what she's got is aliens on the brain. Mm. She uh, can't sleep at night. Would you be able to? No. Nope. Not after all that. By the way, Mm -hmm. pause. How early did you see Alien or either of the films? Because there's plenty of stuff to trigger you with your body horror aversion, in my opinion. Well, we're not just going to pause. Yeah. I'm taking this thing over. Yeah, do it. I need to know. Okay. This is a story of Marshall and Aliens. Oh. The film. Hold on. Let me pop some popcorn. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. The year was 1986, and I was 10, (laughs) and my dad had bought a ragtop convertible. Big red thing. And he wanted to take myself, my sister, and my cousin out to the drive-in theater, just like the old days. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. There was still a drive-in theater in Delaware, so it didn't matter what was playing. He looked in the newspaper and was like, well, what's playing? Aliens. All right. Sounds good. Sounds like it's got aliens. Let's go. Son, we're seeing aliens tonight. It's pretty appropriate for a drive-in. Yeah, yeah. So we all go just for... Not out of being cheap, but just for the old timiness of it, we hid my sister under a blanket. Oh, and then that's adorable. But then we, you didn't make her go in the trunk; you just hid her under a blanket. Yeah, I think it's a good modification. But then we only had to pay for the car full, anyways. We weren't paying by the person. So okay, so now we're seeing it. I've never been to a, a drive-in movie. A few years ago, I went to my second one ever. So for a long time. Aliens was my only reference. Show starts in one minute. It wasn't one of the ones where you tune in the sound on a radio. It allows you to hear the film through little speakers. So you right. pull up you next to the speakers. Them, you hang the speakers on your window. Just hang your speakers on your window, exactly. I've been to drive-ins like that. We missed a bit of the beginning, but not too much. And we missed Alien. Oh. In, the, in the sense that we'd never seen the film Alien yeah. before. But it didn't matter. Didn't matter to my dad or my mom. No, it's about the experience of seeing a film at the drive-in. Yeah, to which everyone was just sort of goofing and having a good time and eating the snacks. But I was getting so involved in this movie that I left the car and went to an empty spot where there was no car and stood there listening to the speakers because the speakers were still in like the little stands. Was your family just bothering you with their lack of attention? Yes. Yeah. 
You're like, screw you guys. Why, why, why was my little sister and my cousin making noise when that was happening on the screen? Understandable. Am I the only one seeing this? <laughs> You're knocking on windows. Are you seeing this? <laughs> I'd like to keep this handy for close encounters. On top of everything else, there was a main character named Hicks. Yeah. And I know... You and I have talked about that before. We just uh, started this podcast with our first names. Hey, rocking the mic, it's Marshall Hicks. Mm-hmm. And to see another Hicks on the screen, Corporal Dwayne Hicks. What is it, Hicks? Hudson, sir. He's Hicks. Core shaking. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. People are Hicks! rat a tat tat Yeah. Eat this. <laughs> Hicks gets another one. Somebody wake up, Hicks. I'll say I had at least one misconception while watching this film because I didn't get the face-hugging bit, the face-huggers. Which, if you're just watching part two, she talks about how the face-hugging works. And we see face-huggers try it, but they never actually succeed. Mm. We see the results of their success. Right. But it's not like part one, where the face-hugging has its own, like, ten-minute chunk of the film. Right. You do get a skittering, running, walking face-hugger in part two, though. Yeah, yeah, you do. I saw it as a threat, but I didn't realize the connection. Right. And I knew... That somehow people were involved in creating aliens. Like, there was the same number of aliens as there were colonists. Mm. I picked up on that. And she goes back to the planet as an advisor, advising a bunch of... Against her will. No, well, against... It takes convincing. She does not want to go back. She's basically blackmailed with her own job. Yeah. And she makes the, the... Paul Reiser... The Wayland rep swear that he's going to destroy the aliens, not to study them or bring them back. Yeah. Destroying them. Okay, then I'll go. Yeah. She's the only one who's seen this so stuff before. She person. goes with a bunch of uh, space marines. Colonial marines, they call them. Mm-hmm. Still not yet really an action movie, but now we're looking at a lot of guns, a lot of heavy artillery, and a lot of gung-ho attitude. Oh, my god! That attitude is amped up so later it can get knocked down the first bit of traditional action i'd say is the, the, like the knife game with the fingers oh god and you know that is difficult to watch yeah then realizing that one of them was an android uh you're like i guess his precision was a little more on so right that hudson played by bill paxton had less to worry about when his hand was also in the yeah mix Five. We're on express elevator to hell. Going down. Two. One. Mark. So they arrive on the planet, and in the original version, not in the extended version, this is now the first time you've seen the planet, which I like better. And there's no one there. It's like a ghost town. And there's like barricades up that didn't quite hold, and there's laser blasts, and everything's just a mighty battle has taken place, and there's no people. And then they find that all the people's bio-trackers are all in one spot. So they go to that spot. And now is the Giger-esque walls mm-hmm. where they're basically walking to an alien nest made of their secretions. Ugh. And one of them snaps off a little piece. And the Sarge goes, don't touch that. So I'm like, okay, that's the rule of the film. Don't touch that. <laughs> like, I don't know anything about facehuggers, but I know don't touch that. By the way, I'm imagining you, 10-year-old Marshall, standing there with your hands by your side with your mouth just wide open and not blinking, staring up at the screen like, oh. That's probably pretty accurate. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And then later, they're going to all leave the planet because 
They get nearly all wiped out. They're waiting for their transport to come. The co-pilot is, like, running back on board, but he finds a little alien goo, and it's on his hand. And the pilot is like, get up here! And he's like, hold on, I think I... whatever. And then we don't see him. And then... Okay, well, here's what happened in the real movie. There's an alien on board. The xenomorph kills him, Mm. and then works its way up to the cockpit, kills her. In my young mind, because he touched the goo... Yeah. In those 10 seconds where we don't see him, he was in the back turning into an alien. Sure. Going... Yep. Makes sense to a 10-year-old. And then... It wasn't just indicative that there is an alien here. It was goo turns you to alien. Yeah. Yeah. So don't touch it. Yeah. Don't touch that stuff. Don't touch that. So... Later, watching it again and going on to watch Alien, I realized, no, touching the goo doesn't make you an alien. Yeah. You get impregnated by a face hugger. Alien pops out of the chest, a la Spaceballs, which I was quite familiar with by this point. And then that becomes the alien. Yeah. Yeah, It takes a little longer. Mm -hmm. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. So they get wiped out. Bill Paxton's bravado is considerably tamped down. They maybe have been keeping up on current events, but we just got our asses kicked, pal. Not too subtle uh, metaphor for Vietnam, mm-hmm. where it's like, we got the guns, and we're going up against these guys. What do they got? Yeah. And then, you know, we just get stepped on. Yeah. And it's like, what happened, man? Hubris. So then you have basically left the same number cast as the first alien, if you count Newt as the cat. Aw. Which... Zagorny Weaver goes back for the cat. Sure. When everything's blowing up and goes back for Newt. Well, except that Jonesy couldn't tell her anything about, like, the ventilation system. Everything like has Newt been could. heightened. <laughs> but, yeah, there's seven survivors plus a, a little mascot. One android in both. Mm-hmm. Just as Lambert starts to kind of break down in Alien, this time it's Bill Paxton. who's just Game a, over, man. Just a wreck. Why don't you put her in charge? God, he's great. <laughs> he really is. Hey, Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? <laughs> and among them is Vasquez. And you were going to say about the character of Vasquez? Actually, all I was going to say is the actress, Jeanette mm. Goldstein. I had never seen her in an interview. And then... You'd seen her in another movie. Well, which one? Near Dark. Didn't realize it. And Terminator 2. Didn't realize it. I know! Yeah. Well... Because she's not Latino. Well, uh uh-huh. And I, you know, I'm watching this interview for Aliens. It was some kind of making of or something. And I was like, is it... Is that Vasquez? Because she's just like, well, you know, the experience of working on the film was, and her hair is much longer, and she's very beautiful. Not that she isn't in Aliens; it's just she's just hyper tough, like you know, oh yeah, boss bitch. Like you don't. I I just didn't realize. I was like, who is this soft spoken, like sassy woman who's like, oh, you know, I it was it was hard for me to carry this gun because I was five foot nothing and blah blah blah. And I was like. Who are you? It was really... Where'd Vasquez go? Incredible. Everything just keeps getting brought up a notch. First, it's like, now we can't get back to the ship, and we won't get a distress signal. It'll take 17 days before anybody else will send help. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, that's great. And then Bishop says, hey, remember that nuclear reactor? terraforming device it's gonna blow it's gonna blow in a few hours so now we have to like 
remotely get a ship off the mothership. By the way, they should have left someone on that mothership. Mm. You know, the, the one that was just circling yeah. full of weapons yeah. above the planet. But okay. <laughs> then Zagorny Weaver, who really does not like androids because of uh, Ash. Her very personal experience. Yeah. Being screwed over. Well, Bishop, your stock is rising when you volunteer to get sealed into this pipe and, like, crawl your way to a relay station mm -hmm. so you can signal the little ship to come and get you guys. Yeah. In between when that ship arrives, little Newt, the little girl, gets taken by the, well, just by aliens at this point. Right. But they start figuring out that if there's all these aliens, someone must be laying eggs, and if someone's laying eggs, then somewhere there must be a queen which is totally an addition of aliens. Mm -hmm. Not even touched on mm -hmm. in Alien, or even alluded to. Right. It's bigger and it's badder, like everything else in the film. Correct. Up till now, we've been seeing lots of aliens, but we haven't seen anything that individually is any bigger or badder than the, the one in the first film. And if you're listening and you haven't ever looked up behind the scenes on how they made this queen mother alien in part two... Very complex. Do yourself a favor. It's really fascinating. And Especially seeing the prototypes that they like made out of like just they covered in trash bags and took to the parking lot and there's like home video footage of them just seeing how yeah. they articulated just how it sure worked. Like the gears work. So cool. Yeah. Really, really fun. Attention. Emergency. All personnel must evacuate immediately. You now have fifteen minutes to reach minimum safe distance. Zagorny Weaver and Hicks and Bishop, or it's all who's left, and Hicks is injured. They can just take off, get off that planet, which is going to blow up any minute now. Yeah. But um, Ripley says, you wait here, I'm going to go find Newt. And here's where, if you didn't know it already, James Cameron wrote the screenplay for Rambo. One of my childhood cats was named Rambo. Oh, nice. Well, We were best friends. What you choose to call hell, he goes home. Ripley, in a rather flirtatious scene with Hicks, got a rundown on, you know, how these guns work. So they're like these gun combination, flamethrower combination grenade launchers. And as she's going to go after Newt, she takes two of them and, like, tapes them together and then gets, like, a belt full of these tiny grenades. Mm -hmm. Groovy. And, yeah, and she just, like, completely <laughs> just suits up with all this weaponry. And just, by the way, it, it makes sense when you look at it and it made sense when I was a kid. But just the idea of, like, one badass gun isn't enough. Take two and tape them together for a super gun. Mm -hmm. Paint me a picture. Ten-year-old Marshall, like, peeing his pants at this point in excitement. That was totally wicked! Were you, like, having a, an awesome Oh, I was I revolution was, in your mind? It was uh, probably just <laughs> otherworldly. Yeah. I may as well have had, like, a be right back sign. Just, like, someone just stuck it on me. Mm -hmm. was like, he'll be right back sometime after the credits. <laughs> That's a great way to describe that. Um, she goes, encounters this huge alien, which they did not go back to Giger for. Correct. Interesting. Stan Winston and company mm -hmm. took over for this one. She gets Newt back, fires the place up, the queen alien detaches itself from its ovum 
Sumo Dan knew the word for it. Oh, ovipositor? Ovipositor? Yeah, the tube-like thing that drops the eggs. Yeah. It's like I have two friends who knows what an ovipositor Only is. Only because I just recently read all about the ovipositor and saw the word a bunch of times. Okay. I'm hoping that's the word. Sounds right. So, sounds like something I heard a few days ago. <laughs> and it follows her. Oh. And, and it seems to be able to use an elevator, but all right. <laughs> all right. They get back to the mothership, and it followed them on the mothership, presumably on, the, like, the one part of the pod shuttle that we couldn't see <sighs> as it made its escape from the exploding planet. It's so nerve-wracking. And that's when Zagorny Weaver has her final showdown with it, which, just following the beats of Alien, you know, it's like she gets off the exploding ship. This time she gets off the exploding planet. Right. She saved the cat. She saved the little girl. But, oh, no, the alien is still with her. And this time, oh, no, the queen alien is still with her. Get away from her, you bitch! I wish I could go sit in an audience... One of the first audiences in 86 to see aliens just for that line and see the audience reaction. Because I'm sure it was, like, triumphant. Like, lots of shouting and clapping. Yes. I suppose. I was all by myself standing next to a speaker. Yeah. So it was just one more amazing thing to happen in a string of amazing things. Right. It just keeps getting better. Are we going to sleep all the way home? All the way home. Can I dream? Sonny, I think we both can. <laughs> Sleep tight. High affirmative. All right, so uh, the alien has left the spaceship, and this time instead of going into hypersleep with a cat, she goes into hypersleep next to a little girl in her own little sleep chambers, and that nice, pleasant... Alien and credit music starts. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our show for the evening. Please leave by the exits and don't forget the speakers. Thank you. I love, love, love that Aliens was nominated for seven Oscars, including a Best Actress Oscar nomination for Sigourney Weaver, which is amazing. Yes. yes. An it's a big Oscar deal. nominated performance. Yeah. Oscar nominated performance and seven Oscar noms for various things for the whole film. So very, very well received. One... Best Effects, Sound Effects, Editing. One, Best Effects, Visual Effects. Nominated, Best Actress in the Leading Role. Nominated, Best Art Direction, Set Decoration. Nominated, Best Sound. Nominated, Best Film Editing. Nominated, Best Music Original Score. And Golden Globe nomination for her as well.
there's so much to talk about. Even if we had just gone down to one of these films, yeah, there's still so much to talk about. So much. Because this viewing experience, cinematic experience, is just wall-to-wall awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I think, <laughs> only as I say this out loud, I remember watching an episode of Northern Exposure where the cinephile kid... I don't know how much Northern Exposure you watched. Next to nothing. In this small town in Alaska, there was one kid who was really into movies. He was like (laughs) a teenager. And in one episode, he gets his heart broken, and he expresses it by saying that, like, I love the movie Alien. Every time I watch it, I get something new. But now when I watch it, it's just, ugh. And, you know, somebody wiser than him says, oh, you'll get over it. (laughs) Hearts get broken. That's what happens. Yeah. And I got to say, yeah, every time I watch Alien, I get something new. Every time I watch Aliens, I get something new. Definitely. Just because I had a pad and paper this time around doesn't mean I won't get something new the next time I watch it. Right. So, good listener. Thanks for getting all the way through this with us as we try to get on top of this un-get-on-topable subject. (laughs) It's fun to talk about it, and I learned stuff that I... It is fun to try. I learned things that I didn't know. And, and that's why I hope I'm saying, you did too, listener. Dear listener, whatever factoids we might have dropped on you in this last hour, there's still more out there waiting for you. Yeah. So tell us stuff that we don't know. Yeah. What don't I know? Reach out. Yeah. Tell me something I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, that's <laughs> suddenly a, that's a that turned request. antagonistic from from tell my you what, end. Folks, uh, tell us anything you like, and you can do it at boysandghouls at gmail. Drop us a line through our Facebook page, Boys and Ghouls on Facebook. Or uh, tweet at us, Boys yeah. and Ghouls at Twitter. Or find us on Instagram, Boys and Ghouls Podcast. We're there, too. Yeah, or Pinterest. I'm there a lot. Yeah, Tumblr. We're all over the place. Provided it's free. Hmm. All right. Uh, so that's how you can find us. Uh, thank you for joining us. And let's say you're in the mood for a horror film, but you're also in the mood for an action film. Watch Alien, watch Aliens. And that'll also satisfy your... Need for a sci-fi film. Man, it's all there. It's just all there. It's all there. So, Kat, final thoughts? Yeah. I think you're trying to sum up something that is unsum I'm going to be here all night. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we have to, like, make any grand statements about it. True. I People wanna... know the movies. Okay. Then minus a grand statement. Yeah. How about this statement, Kat? Beware the moon. Beware.